Praise the Lord. What an amazing time of worship. And I was just on the front row with my wife, and I don't normally get those times to <laughs> worship alongside with her, obviously, because I'm normally here up on stage, but I was just reflecting on what an amazing, tremendous gift it is to sing to our Savior. Music has such a powerful way to express emotions and feelings that words can never do. God gave us music to glorify, to minister to. Think about that. God allows you to minister to his heart. The Bible talks about bringing worship that is acceptable to the Lord. It says with full of reverence and awe. So you have the ability to sing and minister minister to the king of king of the universe. That's why your voice, your singing, your worship matters. Not just the wonderful singers we have on stage, and believe we have tremendous singers, amen? But your voice is just as important. God still wants to hear you. Don't rely on the ones up here to sing. God wants to hear from you. He wants to hear from your heart. And I, I reflected on something that um, Aaron Keyes once said, that he encourages everyone when they lead worship is not to make people feel like they need to fall in love with Jesus, but make them feel like they need to grow in their love for Jesus. It's easy to fall in love, amen? We all know what it means to fall in love. Some of us fell in love with a person on a, on a, a movie screen or television set, or we fell in love with a cute girl on the kindergarten playground or whatever, or then eventually fell in love with our spouse, but the falling in love part's easy. The growing and 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 and, and discernment and the choice to love is another thing. And that's what God's church is calling us to do, is to grow in our love. Because when we grow in our love, we're actually doing a verb. We're actually, we're actually achieving something. We're pursuing him. And that's what we need to continue to do as we continue to gather. That's the point of this gathering, is to continue to grow in our love for Jesus. So it, what an amazing time of worship. Can we praise the Lord for what we just experienced with the band and... and Yes, I'm so, I'm thankful for Will, I'm thankful for Holland, uh, I think Jonathan was here, uh, Joanna, Michael, Josh, who is, Josh, how long have you been here for, uh, at Calvary? Long time. Long time. <laughs> We're thankful that Josh continues to still serve, and Jaron, obviously on the drum set, what an amazing uh, gift these guys have to give, and uh, we're so thankful for our, our praise team here. So, um, well, first off, I'd like to introduce myself if I haven't met you or you've never seen me before. My name is Matt. Um, I'm the worship pastor here at Calvary, and uh, in October, it will be two years since Jan and I, um, Jan is my wife, um, since we've been here, and it's just been such a delight, such a treat to be a part of this body, and I'm so thankful that you guys have accepted us and invited us in. Um, some of you didn't really have a choice in that matter, but you did it anyways. Um, we're so thankful that we get to be here. And I have the tremendous opportunity to bring the word this morning. And so uh, today was not supposed to be what our original week plan was. I was supposed to lead worship, and uh, Pastor Jackson was supposed to preach today, but he's come down with some uh, coughing in his throat and uh, his lungs, and he just didn't think like it was going to be good. So you have my 24-hour prep sermon today, so uh, we... <laughs> We pray that it's, uh, I, I know that God's still going to speak to us um, through his word. And what I pray through all this is that you hear God's word, not my words. Because my words will leave you flat and will leave you empty. But God's word will fill you up with hope, encouragement, and even a challenge. So, um, we are continuing in our sermon series, Me, We, Us, Tagline Relationship 101. 
But if we're honest, most of us thought that in a, in a, in a relationship series, we'd only be hearing about parenting and marriages, because that's kind of the main, the main two that we normally talk about in church. But I do want to remind each of us that there's a represent, represent, uh, represented group that is usually forgotten in a relationship series. Anyone know what that is? Singleness. Singleness is normally the forgotten ugly stepchild in a relationship series. Uh, normally we just kind of bypass that. We focus on marriage. Because the Bible is full about marriages. It's full about relationships. Um, it's, it's full about parenting. But. Bible does not skip over singleness. Um, and I think I want to address why we've probably forgotten about this. And here's the thing. We've all experienced singleness. We all entered in this world single, and some of us depart from this world single. So it's not like singleness is a forgotten thing that we just never experienced. Some of us don't always get to uh, become parents or become, uh, become a husband or a wife. We all experience singleness. So why do we neglect that in the church? Why do we kind of forsake that? It's an interesting, interesting concept here. Um, a good majority of us, myself included, um, we grew up with fairy tales, right? We grew up with Disney classics. That was me. You know, Aladdin. Uh, what are the other ones? Um, I'm literally blanking on fairy tales. Uh, Cinderella, Snow White, um, Sleeping Beauty. <clears throat> and then the, your kids now have some new ones that I don't know necessarily all about. But um, we, we've, we heard and watched these stories about princesses and princes finding their true love in about a day and falling in love in about a day. And, you know, the, the whole story is about triumphing over evil, but yet it's all about the love, all about the love story. And yet they, they, they always end it all on, a, they lived happily ever after, whatever that means. And so that's the stories that we grew up on. This idea of finding somebody to marry, um, very quickly, might add, is so glorified in all of our stories, right? It's so, it's so celebrated, right? Almost um, every time Jan and I try to watch a movie, my choice is always action or comedy. Her choice is what? Romantic comedy, most of the time, <laughs> um, which is not bad. Um, during the Christmas season, her favorite stuff to watch is Hallmark Classics, and it's always the same story every single time. I think I harp about this all the time. Uh, girl struggling in the city, then she goes to the country, then she finds a somehow handsomely cut guy. She doesn't find the fatty, she finds the guy who's muscular. <laughs> and she falls in love with him in about a week, and then she leaves her city job for the country job. It's the same story every single time. And uh, we play a game, I normally try to guess the, 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 the script before the movie ends, and normally I win because it's the same thing. But that's what we enjoy watching. We want to see the love story because that's what we all want, right? We want to watch what we want in our own life. We don't want to see destruction. We don't want to see loneliness. We don't want to see singleness because that is a reflection of some of our insecurities. That's some of the reflections of what we fear the most, being alone in this life. And so Hollywood and television, they all play on this. We go, you know, well, here's what you want to see. Here's the happily marriage. Here's, here's what you're going to have one day. And it's not hard to understand why, because marriage is such a beautiful thing. Jane and I just celebrated five years the other day, and it's been the best five years of my life. But we still have to understand that marriage is not just the everything and end all, right? Even in a relationship series. Marriage is a gift, but as we're reminded today that singleness is also a gift and sometimes an even better one. 
So a couple myths that we want to debunk today. We want to kind of poke the holes in what people think singleness is, because if you're single today, if you, and also let's kind of say this, if you are not married, if you do not have a ring on that finger, right, if you're not with somebody, you are single, whether you're engaged, you're in a relationship, whatever, unless you are united as man and wife, you are still single to this day. So this still applies to you, no matter where you are. Um, so a couple of myths we want to we kind of poke holes in. So number one, singleness is not your identity, okay? You do not have to identify you're single, right? Facebook or whatever, or you have to do it in your, uh, your doctor's forms. Are you married? No, I'm single. Uh, Facebook, you, marriage status, single. That is not who you are. Do not base who you are because of your relationship or lack thereof. We will get into that more. But... It's not your identity. That is a myth that the world is trying to play on your psyche. Number two, singleness is not a punishment from the Lord. Some of us think, and I even thought about it, uh, there was a time after college where I, I couldn't find anyone who wanted to date me, and I just thought, well, God hates me, apparently. Like, I must be um, used goods or something, and uh, clearly, somebody still, I tricked somebody into marrying me, so that's good. But... Um, it is not a punishment from the Lord. It can't be when it's called a gift, and we're going to see that here in Scripture. It's not a punishment. And number three, another myth, singleness does not produce loneliness. Now, with the wrong priorities, it can. But if you, if you are pursuing your singleness in the Lord, you don't have to be lonely. You don't have to be. I think sometimes, a lot of times, loneliness can sometimes be a choice, just like everything else. So we have to see here that it's no longer your identity. It's not a punishment, and it is not the reason you are lonely. Just because you don't have a husband or wife does not forsake you from the wonderful, awesome things of this world. That is not what God's intention for you today is. And I want you guys to see that here in Scripture. I want you to see how good it is to be in this part of life. But I also want us to face, I want us to face the fact that we as a church sometimes have allowed these myths to come, come face to face. How many of us went to a wedding when we didn't have anybody? How many times were we asked, oh, when is it your turn? Oh, or let's take it up a notch. When are you having kids? Oh, you're not married? Oh, there'll be somebody for you. That's, that's what people ask all the time. For some reason, we can't make small talk without asking about a relationship. Um, well, I work, and I have a pretty good job, but yeah, if I don't have a bow, I guess I'm not, I'm not worth your time of talking. Uh, but we, we've allowed this to happen. We've allowed ourselves to, in some ways, judge and shame others for not being in a relationship, right? There are way more married life groups than there are single life groups, and this church is, a, is one of those, right? We just, we thrive on marriage, couples, and everything, but we've kind of forgotten about the ones who are still in a life of singleness. Instead of outcasting them or thinking that there's something wrong with them, oh, why aren't you married? Oh, you're 28, oh, you're 32, and you're not married yet? Are you doing, the, are you doing something wrong? Or no, 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 no. We shouldn't be asking those kind of questions. We should be uplifting and praising that they're in this place that they get to celebrate and be with the Lord. Scripture is going to show us today that this is a thing to be celebrated. Marriage is also something to be celebrated. Let's not get that wrong. But this other part of life is something to be celebrated and honored if treated 
in the right such. It is an exciting, exciting part of life. So if you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. If you are there, you can say there. If you're not there, you can say help. Mm, Very good. I also, I think I've said this before when I get the opportunity to preach, I don't like a silent room, okay? It makes me feel very uneasy. It makes me feel like you're either asleep or I'm saying everything wrong. So... If I say amen or say something, it's just to get a little feedback, a little, little uh, making sure that you guys are with me. Because um, I know if not, I could just talk on and on and on and just ask my wife. Um, that's one of my, I guess, gifts is I can talk forever. Uh, <laughs> uh, chapter 7, we're going to be in verses 6 through 9 for this first part. So let's read this together. This is uh, the Apostle Paul writing a letter to the church of Corinth. And he says this. <clears throat> Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am. But each has his own gift from God, one of one, one of one kind, and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for what you've done thus far. Um, You are the God who speaks life into everything, and we just ask that we lean into you this morning. We ask that your words are louder and clearer than any man's and anyone speaking today, Lord. Let us see what your desires are for this life. Let us see how you want us to course correct any, any wrongs that we've had. And that would your word minister to our hearts. We need you, Lord. We need you to intervene. We ask all this in Jesus' name. And the church says, amen. 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 Well, it's, it's good to note here, right? I've kind of been harping on marriage a little bit, which sounds weird as a married man. But I am not <laughs> trying to poke holes in the beauty of marriage. First off, the Apostle Paul also is not trying to do the same thing. He is pro-marriage, right? He is for it. If you read the other parts of chapter 7, he's talking about how wives and husbands should be, interact with each other. Um, we've, we've been in this series long enough. Marriage is such a beautiful and wonderful thing, but that is not the reason of why I'm here this morning because we know that. We have to see this other side of things. Um, we're seeing that there's a thought process here that is not super common amongst us. Right, once again, I have, I, if you knew, take anything away, take this away, that it is a gift to be single. Paul says it's a good thing to be single. Most of our lives are built around finding a spouse, uh, finding the perfect job, having the perfect house, raising the perfect family, right? That's most of our ambitions. But that technically doesn't always come from scripture. That's not what we're called to do necessarily. That's more of the American dream, right? Here in America, the American dream is to have the picture-perfect family, right? How many of your family gatherings, when you get everyone together for a photo, how long does that actually take? Do you take the first one and post it, or you take 20 and find out who's blinking, who's making a funny face, oh, Uncle John is, is not smiling, all these things. We try to show the world just how perfect our family is, and in retrospect, it's actually a lot of imperfection. Right, somebody says uh, on Instagram, if you want to know who somebody actually is, don't look at their photos. No one posts their flaws. 
No one posts the realities of life. They show you the good side of life. That's the American way of doing things. And actually, here in the church, we should actually be, we should actually be real and vulnerable with each other, embracing our flaws, embracing our insecurities. Why? Because Jesus is that much greater to overcome all those things. But yet, we have to be perfect. Pastors, especially, for some reason got in their minds that they had to be the picture-perfect Christian. And I can tell you, Jackson, no, I'm just kidding. I am far from perfect. I am not. I, sometimes I don't, I, I even wonder why I'm allowed up here. If you knew everything, you'd wonder why. But that's not our way to embrace these, these different ideologies of the world. And so with us pursuing these things, the more that we pursue them, the more that we realize that there's an emptiness that continues to build. And like I said, not just about marriage, but that perfect job, that better salary, that better home, that greener grass, that better car, all these things are gonna continue to build up this big old gap in your heart and you're going, I thought I wanted these things, why am I not happy? If you are single this morning, if you are not married, and you think, if I could just get a spouse, I'd be good. That is the opposite of what we're trying to get across today. Getting married does not complete the rest of your life. Sometimes it actually corrupts it a little bit without the right priorities in place. Marriage was not created to satisfy your every need of loneliness and intimacy. Just like I said, sometimes it multiplies because you're looking to this person to give you something that they were not meant to give you. Our DNA was not to be completed by another human being, but our DNA was supposed to be completed by having Jesus in our life constantly and having him be our everything. Does that make sense? Because a flawed person asking another flawed person to be to complete them, you just make a bigger flawed person without Christ as the foundation. That's what we're asking for here, and that's what we're pursuing here. That's why divorce is at such a high rate, because people are saying, as long as I have this person, I'm good. But then when they find out that they're just as flawed as them, they go, I'm good, I, I wanna get out of this. And that's why we see, even in the church, divorce continuing to rise, because people have the wrong idea about singleness and marriage. And for us to even force or push marriage onto somebody, right? Oh, you're, you're 40, you're not married yet? Well, you need to better get on it, right? That's how we act sometimes. We're going, the, the clock's ticking. But if we push these things on people who are not ready for it, it can be so harmful for them. It can actually destroy their life if they're not ready for it. Paul is saying how good it is to be single. For the ones in the room, if this is your current journey, we should be praising the Lord for where you're at. No longer should you be shamed, no longer should you be looked as like a leper or something. You are valued, you have just as much worth in the room. And the church should be the first one celebrating all that. I know we have weddings and all these, and baby showers and all these things. There's not really a single shower, apologize or our celebration to be singleness, but let's this morning just praise God for this opportunity that you have. 
And I know it sounds crazy. I know you're like, but I want the gifts. I'm not going to give you anything, I guess, for being single. Well, you know, like I said, we're in such a culture where that stuff is celebrated. The wedding industry is over a billion dollars a year. People are spending insane amount of money to celebrate a wedding. So just one day, mind you, celebrating this one event. And so you see that, right? You long to post about it. You long to tell people, look who I finally found, right? Look, look see how good my life is now. This is the longing that our spirits long for. I remember when I was in that space. Before I met Jana, I had this longing gap in my heart that, and I thought there was something wrong with me. I said, I must have messed up all my relationships so bad that I am unlovable. There, no, one, no, one's, can, can, no one wants this anymore. That's where I was. And let me tell you that because my mindset was that way, I had a hard time adjusting to my marriage at first because I looked at her to satisfy and complete everything when she couldn't. That's the dangers that we're in. And that's what Paul is trying for us to look at. So if we look back here in the verses, I, I find it so interesting that back in verse 8, he says, to the unmarried and the widows, right? He, he, didn't, he didn't bring out the widowers. I was talking to Jana yesterday about that. I found it so interesting that Paul kind of singled out the women mostly in all this. But we have to remember the time that when he was writing this letter, that marriage for women was the best that they could achieve at that time, which is sad. It, ugh. A, a woman without a family during this time would have been a social outcast. Her singleness, the sign of her social failure. But you know what? Don't we still treat women the same way today? If they're not a wife or a mom, don't we look at them differently? If we're truly, brutally honest, that's how we do it. And women back then were considered a second-class citizen. That's even worse. Thankfully, today, with, with the laws and everything, we, we rewrote some of those wrongs, but yet we're still treating you ladies the same way. It is not your calling always to be a wife. That's not God's original intention for you. Now, that's a gift that he can provide for you, and hallelujah for that. But first and foremost, he's called you to be a follower of Jesus, a true disciple. Everything comes after that, right? Amen? Everything must be on the priority list after that. So if you're here today thinking that that's your value to just to, to produce and, and bear children and be a, be a wife, there's so much more value that you have to give. And the church has to be shouting that from the rooftops because without it, this world will be telling you, you need to find a husband. Just mm, find yourself a husband. Mm, clock, once again, clock's ticking. The world's gonna leave you behind. That's where we live in society. And so Paul, I love how Paul's calling that out. They're the ones who needed to hear that the most, that they weren't a failure because either they're not married or that their husband died, that they have more to give, more to offer. My sister in Christ, a husband will not complete you. 
Ask most wives. Husbands usually drive them insane. Only a couple chuckles on that one. <laughs> Look to Christ to be your everything. Psalms 90.14 says this. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. If you're looking to that man to satisfy you in every way possible, he'll let you down. He'll forget an anniversary. He'll forget a birthday. He'll forget a date. He'll fail. He'll forget to pick up the dry cleaning, <laughs> pick up the kids. He'll do wrong things. That's because he's imperfect. He is still flawed here on this earth. That's why we look to Christ, to our Father, to satisfy us, to complete the gaps in my heart. We have a hard time with that. That's why we have to talk about it. And Paul is not done with his subject. Mm, sorry. We see, uh, let's move further down here in chapter 7, move to verse 25. He continues to kind of talk about this because it's something to be valued, something to be communicated. Let's see this. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no judgment from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Right? He's saying this is not what you have to do, but you can trust Paul that what he's going to say is worth listening to. Verse 26, I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. And let me just say this. I'm harping on singleness. Men, if you want to be single again, too late. You are a married. Like, stay with your wife. Don't listen to this and think, oh, Matt, Pastor Matt gave me a free out. No, 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 no. He continues, are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. So here is he saying, are you married? Do not long to be single. Or are you single? Do not long to be married. But, verse 28, if you do marry, you have not sinned. Marriage is such a good thing, right? The intimacy that marriage gets to, gets to partake in, that's what the original intention was that for. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. That I would spare you that. Interesting. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live at those they have none. And those who mourn as though they are not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. So what I find interesting and, and what I find actually exciting about this, and we're going to stop at that, we're going to continue on in just a moment. But what I find exciting about what these verses are kind of drawing out for me is that we have a choice. God gives us free will in this life. Yes, we pray to the Lord, Lord, guide my steps. Lord, open these doors for me. But he then allows us to make that choice. If you feel the calling to stay single, you have that choice. If you feel the calling to be a husband and a father, you have that choice. Not everyone's story is going to be the same. So don't look to social media and go, well, they have all these at my age and I have nothing. Don't look to them as your example. 
God's story in you is being written constantly and you have no idea what he is writing in the background, what he is placing before you. We constantly, thank you, Instagram and Facebook, we constantly uh, compare ourselves to somebody else, compare our children, compare our, our relationships, everything to somebody else and how better their life is than mine. But that's not what God's intending for you. And here, Paul's even kind of calling us to, is that, yeah, all these things are wonderful, but do not look to them as your priority. Marriage, great jobs, cars, whatever you, you're going to get in this life, they're all extremely blessed. They're all blessings, but they should not be your number one. And I think if every married person is honest in this room, they have put their spouse before the Lord several times, if not a daily thing. And that's the opposite of what Christ is calling us for. He wants us to love our wives. He wants us to, to honor our husbands. But we must first put ourselves towards the Lord first. That's why singleness is such a gift. Because we have nobody to distract us. We have nobody to divide us. We have this ability to be totally for the Lord. Because look, Paul said this, that... Uh, but if you do marry, you have not sinned. If a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you of that. He's encouraging you. If you don't get married, guess what? All the problems that they're bringing, you don't have to worry about them. You have enough baggage before you worry about somebody else's. He's just, he's just pointing out the obvious, right? When you bring on somebody else in your home, you're paying for somebody else. And you guys make babies, you're paying for those babies. He's talking about just the world we live in. He's talking about these things that you have to take over when you, when you marry into life. So when, if you're in this place of singleness, honor this time. Rejoice in this time. I got to pay for nobody. The meals are on me. Now, Somebody might want somebody else to pay for them, but these, these stresses of this world, they're multiplied when more people come in the picture. Yes, a wonderful thing, but Paul is just encouraging us here think, to think about these things. Don't run to something that you think is going to satisfy you when there's trouble that can come every which way. Keep our priorities straight. Let's continue here. This is the end of our passage. Verse 32. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord and how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. To honor and love and please your wife is not a bad thing. But it does take you away from your first calling. And his interests, circle this word, are divided. It's just the reality of things. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit, but the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. Once again, not a bad thing. <clears throat> he says this, I say this for your own benefit. Once again, 
Imagine Paul just as another pastor encouraging you in this life. I say this for your own benefit. Do not lay any restraints upon you, but to promote good order and how to secure your individual, your undivided devotion to the Lord. How beautiful it is to be married. What a tremendous gift. But as Paul is calling us here, it it does split our attention. And you add a kid in there, once again, splits your attention. And other kids, I grew up in a family of six kids. How many attentions are split there? It splits it. When you're first calling, if you are a believer in Christ, your first calling is not to honor them first. It's to honor the Lord first. His ways should be prioritized. Now, serving your wife, loving your wife, honoring your husband, that's serving the Lord, yes. But then any need she has, pick up the kids, do all these things. You gotta, you gotta tend to their needs, your family's needs. Your family then becomes a priority. And not over the Lord, but it becomes something where it starts to take you away from things. I asked my wife how I should communicate this, and I'm gonna try my best to say this, but if I wasn't married to Jana, I'd have the ability, if you need me in California tomorrow to do something, I'm there. If you need me to run with you for a month to Kenya for a mission trip, I'm there, right, to do the Lord's work. Can I do that as a married man? No, because I have to tend to her needs as well. She is is important now in my life to where I just can't forsake her. But this is what Paul is addressing, this is what Paul is celebrating, that if you are not married, if you have this opportunity, if, like I said, if you're still engaged or in a relationship, that's great, but if you're in that point in your life, you can do so many things. Paul, as an unmarried man, like he said, back in verse six, he says, just as I am, I can do and go anywhere for the Lord. That's the calling there. There's nothing that should stop you, nothing that should keep you from doing it. If you, like I said, you don't have to run off to Kenya. Come serve in the youth ministry. Come serve in the nursery, the kids, kids city. Come serve on the worship team, the production, first impressions. Serve your local church. Serve whomever you can. Take, don't, don't wait for the marriage to come and waste this opportunity that you have. Embrace it and see what God can do through you. But I think so many of us just think it's, 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 it's the church's, it's church's part to serve the Lord. I'll just come attend on Sunday, and then I'll just go, go on my way, waiting for my spouse. And for some reason, we've, we've, led, we've come to believe that lie, that it's up to somebody else, but it is your calling, church. God has commissioned each and every one of you to go and to make, right? Our statement, our mission statement here at this church is what? Together, we lead and create disciples of Jesus. That word together had to be important because it's not just one, it's all of us. So if you're in that life and you get to celebrate that fact, amen. Paul's not trying to shame the married ones. He's not trying to (laughs) depress anybody. He's just trying to showcase that there's 
two ways to do this, that there's not a waiting period before your wedding day. There's actually a journey, an opportunity. His mind was fixed on Christ and Christ alone, and that's what he calls you to do the same thing. But here, the married ones, and there's plenty of you in the room, just like me, I think it's easy for us to say, once we're married, we're done, right? I gotta focus on the kids, the wife, the job, we're done, but that's not true either. This is an encouragement to still understand that we have one single identity. Singleness is not an identity, marriage is not an identity. Our single identity is in Jesus Christ. And that's the big thing I want you to take away, walk away from today. So I have two points for us this morning. If you're writing anything down, if you're taking a picture, whichever one you want. The first point is this, that you are not defined by who you are with or who you are not with. I hope you understand that. You are not defined by who you are with or who you are not with. And I'm talking to the single, the married, and the divorced These things do not have to define you if you do not let it. Whatever your status on Facebook is or whatever does not have to write your story. That is not who God is calling, your ultimate calling is. Do not relationships become your identity, whether you have them or you don't. Do not let them become where you put your worth in. I've always wanted to be a mom, so this is who I am. I've I've always, you know, I just want to be a husband, this is who I am. That's not your end all. Because when you put your worth into these things, it will distract you. It will alienate you and it will corrupt you. Because it's not enough. These things are not enough. They will leave you dry, unsatisfied, thirsting for something more. That's why we have so many people stepping outside of their marriage. It wasn't what they thought it was going to be, so they went go looking for it somewhere else, either in a job or another person. They couldn't find this hole that only Jesus could fill. And so they pursued all these other things, hobbies, whatever you call it, money, relationships, all these other things. That's why it corrupts. That's why we call you to not place your identity in this. The late Tim Keller said this before his passing. The Christian identity is the only identity in which your identity is received, not achieved. The Christian identity is the only one in all religions in this world where it is received and not achieved. So we say hallelujah that our identity is not found in anybody or anything that I can do or anyone I can find it in. I believe this is important for all of us to hear because on some levels, we do this with our relationships. We do this with everything. If I can only get married, or if I can only get a job for my family, or whatever, we place our values on the things that we do, but we should be placing them in the hands of Jesus who gives them value, who gives you value. If you need to know your worth, look to the cross. He said that your life, your heart, eternity, was worth it to die. That's where identity should lie in. 
Not in who we are, not in our titles. If you're a CEO, congratulations. If you're whatever, whatever you're, you're, you write in your bio, great. But the only identity that should matter is that I'm a follower of Jesus. Amen? That's where it is. That's where the hope relies in. You've not made it just because you're married. You've not made it just because you, you become a mom or a dad. That's not what this is about. This life is a journey. When we've made it is when we stand before the Lord and we hear the greatest phrase ever. Well done, my good and faithful servant. But even then, that's not the end. That starts eternity. If we allow our relationships to define us, what happens when they're taken away from us? What defines us then? Because death is a real thing. Somebody in your family will experience loss, and you might have already have already. When I put my value in something that is temporary, I am that much destroyed when it is taken away. So this leads me to my last point this morning. If relationships are momentary, prioritize the eternal. I'm not saying forsake your marriage, forsake your jobs or anything. No, 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 no. I just want us to prioritize the thing that is everlasting, the one who will be here till the end of time. Janet and I, in, uh, in a premarital counseling, uh, we, we were at a book by John Piper, and the title was Momentary Marriage. Because our marriages here on earth are momentary. They're like a, a blink of an eye to heaven. You know what our real marriage is? Christ and his church. That's the covenant that will last for all time. So for us, and Mikey, you can go ahead and come up to the, to the piano as I'm wrapping up here. So for us, it's not about seeking for the happily ever after about these things that I desire so much, these earthly things I desire so much, the things that we as a church, as an individual, as a disciple of Christ should pursue is Jesus. Because he does not let me down. He is faithful to the end. He provides in ways that we can never even comprehend. He died for each and every person in this room before you were even a thought, before your grandparents were a thought, before your great, great, great grandparents were a thought. He died with you on his mind, with you on his mind. He died as your sin. He took on the shame and the torment that we put on, that we brought into the world. It wasn't his cross to bear, but he bore it for us. There's an amazing old Southern Gospel song that says, the cross in the middle was meant for me. The cross in the middle was mine. But yet he spared each of us from that. And not only that, he spared each of us of eternal separation. 
So then he alone, he bought your identity. He bought your worth with his precious blood. He bought all of that. So then can in turn, can we then give it back to him? Prioritizing the one who prioritized us. He alone satisfies, he alone completes, he alone can be everything for you and never let you down. Psalms 123 says this, for I lift my eyes up, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of the servant look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of the maidservant to the hands of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. So church, our response should be to look to the Lord. And spouses, grab the hand of your, your partner. Say, let's look to the Lord together. You single ones, you ones who are doing life right now, just you, look to the Lord. It's not about the singles going to the Lord and the married ones going. No, no, let's all join together and go to the Lord. Whatever your baggage is today, whatever your, your worries are today, go to the Lord. What anxieties and fears are crippling you, go to the Lord. What hopes and dreams that you want for you fulfilled one day, go to the Lord. Psalm says, cast your burdens down to his feet. He alone satisfies. Satisfy us in the morning, O Lord, so that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Nothing else 